Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Landweber, author of the new novel, The Damage Done. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Damage Done, how would you describe the novel? Um, like all my novels, I start with a what-if question. In this case, uh, the question was, what would the world be like if there was no violence? Um, so the premise is that everyone wakes up one day and literally no one is able to hurt anyone else. You can't shoot anyone, can't stab anyone, uh, even to the point where if you wanted to get past someone you know, on an escalator and had to push them, you wouldn't be able to shove them. So that was the uh, that's the basic premise of the novel, and then it follows seven characters, uh, each with their own POV, who um, have experienced violence in their lives. Um, some of them on a daily basis, some of them in the past. Um, and mainly tracks them over the first three days as they realize that the world has changed and, and takes a look at how it affects them. So, a uh, middle school kid who's being bullied. Um, a woman in an abusive marriage, uh, a white supremacist plotting a horrible uh, crime. Um, you've got a, a dissident in a notorious uh, foreign prison, a refugee making a dangerous journey. And uh, it basically allows uh, me to take a look at what these situations would be like if, in fact, there wasn't the violence that you might expect would happen. In these situations. And do you remember the original idea that led you to write The Damage Done? So what's interesting is this, this novel uh, stemmed from a, a previous novel I had drafted that is actually sitting in a drawer <laughs> that <laughs> will never see the light of day. Um, that was extremely violent. It uh, had a premise that <laughs> itself to violence. <laughs> And I wrote it and showed it to, uh, as, as all writers, uh, I've got a few first readers. Um, and when I asked them what they thought, uh, they started with uh, some silence because they were not used to that uh, that level of violence in my writing. Um, and and after, after writing that, it got me thinking about situations, particularly as a writer. Um, there are a lot of situations that you write, you get yourself down a road and you realize, well, is the only way out of this violence? Is, is that the inevitable conclusion of what I've been writing? Um, and I wanted to play with those expectations and decided that the way to do that was to start with this idea that, in fact, these characters and, and the people that they deal with on a daily basis could no longer either be victims of violence or inflict violence on others. So that was, that was the premise. Um, as usual, when, when I come up with a, a premise, I then realize I need a plot and characters. So that, that took a little while to get to. <laughs> well, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Oh, getting my first novel published. Uh, my writing journey has been long and winding. Um, like probably almost all fiction writers, you know, I've always written, uh, I, I started writing in high school. Um, I actually wrote my first novel when I was in my early twenties. Um, 
and had a uh, had an agent for that uh, that book. Uh, it did not sell, um, and then a couple other attempts at novels were also not successful. So uh, I, I was not the uh, right out of the box uh, early twenties writing prodigy. Um, <laughs> then in my in my thirties, my my story tends to go in decades. Uh, in my thirties, I I got back to writing by um, working on short stories. Um, started to have some success publishing short stories. Had a little uh, stint where I was trying to write screenplays. Was out in LA with my partner, a partner of mine. We had an agent that didn't work out. And then finally, in my early forties, I I wrote a book called We, um, that got me uh, another agent. Um, and just to confuse things further, she didn't actually sell it, but uh, <laughs> that and another book I wrote, I ended up selling myself directly to a small press. So, um, that is the the long and winding road to uh, to my first novel, um, and then. After my after those two novels came out with a small press, um, my third novel, uh, I had another agent and ended up publishing that one. Um, just to confuse things more, as an audiobook only with uh, Audible, um, which actually was a great experience. I enjoyed working working with them a great deal, uh, which led to this fourth novel, uh, which uh, is coming out and coming out right now. Well, I'm curious about the the Audible uh, novel. Was that something? I'm just curious about the the process. Was that something they approached you? How did that come about? Um, my agent sent it to them. Um, Audible actually uh, has been putting out a lot of um, original content, um, novels, and other other things that work with audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so they. They, uh, my, my, I don't know exactly how my agent approached them or if they approached my agent, but, uh, that, that, that was, um, sold to them directly as, as a novel to be auto, audio only. Mm-hmm. Um, what was interesting about the process is the process of editing and putting out the book was no different than putting out a print, uh, edition. Um, the editorial process was exactly the same right up until the last minute where suddenly they were um, sending me audition tapes of people to read read the novel. So then that was the only place to purge. But and, I had and do, great experience with them. And do you think at some point that you'll that you will publish that in print or electronic uh, ebook? I would like to. Um at the moment, we don't have anything in the process. Um, sure. An interesting thing is it, it actually has um, been optioned for screen. Um, oh, well. So it's it's uh, in the process. So if, again, with with Hollywood, I spent some as I said, spent some time writing scripts. You know, the fact that something's optioned maybe does not really mean much. Right. Other than some, right. Someone <laughs> has it, but uh, I, I suppose if it actually makes it onto some screen somewhere that will be a point where uh, getting it into print would might happen so well you you write short stories as you mentioned as well as novels when you sit down to write something new do you know initially if it's a short story or novel i do i do um up until this point 
my novels have actually been pretty short as well. So mm-hmm. the, the problem is less knowing whether it's a novel and instead knowing whether it's going to be long enough in the end to, to not be a novella or a, a novelette. Um, but yeah, some ideas just lend themselves to the treatment as a short story. Um, there, there will, and then obviously you'll run into an idea where you realize it, it's going to take tens of thousands of words instead of hundreds of words. Um, but that usually right at the beginning, I have a sense that this sure. is a novel, this is a short story. And I'm curious when you do write a short story, do you have kind of the idea for the entire story in mind, or do you start with? Uh, an opening line or a vague idea or is it or is it fully fleshed out for you i rarely in any writing know where i'm going (laughs) when i put the first few words down um so i always am starting with sort of a vague idea and maybe i have um moments along the way uh with a short story i'm more likely to at least have what I would call the boundaries of the story. I kind of know the beginning and the end. Uh, If not the middle, the middle is always most challenging. I would guess for any writer often, well, maybe just for me, (laughs) I tend to get to the middle and, you know, I've lost sight of both ends and I just keep writing (laughs) forward until I start to see the light again, Um, which may explain why I end up doing uh, major rewrites on almost everything I do. So well, it's like a waiting around with my eyes closed, feeling it out kind of, kind of writing style. Sure. Have you started working on a new novel now? I have. I have. I'm a couple hundred pages into it. Um, again, knowing knowing the way first drafts work, probably a couple hundred pages that so won't be in the final novel. But you know, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's another. Uh, what if kind of story in this one um the main character sees a number over everybody's head in the world except his own and <laughs> that basically the numbers are one to 14 and they go up randomly they blink and go up by one uh when you hit 14 you die awesome that sounds interesting <laughs> uh, a, a very high concept premise as usual, it's starting out very existential and dark. And uh, after I write a draft, I'll, I'll figure out how to actually turn it into a plot with a story. Sure. Well, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories and novels? You know, for writers who have never actually finished, well, if we're talking about a new, someone who's trying to write a novel, my advice to someone who hasn't actually finished a novel before is to just sit in the chair and write from beginning to end and don't stop until you get to the, not, not in one sitting, obviously I'm not, not trying to torture anyone. Um, but the, the biggest problem is really just finishing it the first time. Um, a lot of first time novelists get bogged down in, trying to be perfect along the way or even trying to be good along the way. And my advice to them is be willing to just know that your first draft is not going to be great. 
but you'd have to have a complete first draft in order to to rewrite. At least that's the way I work. Sure. I do know writers who are able to, you know, go sentence by sentence until it's perfect. Um, I never understood how they do that. Yeah. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Recently, um, I've been on kind of a thriller kick. Um, I've read three really good thrillers. Um, They're Gone by E.A. Bars, who also, he also writes as E.A. Amar. Um, It's a really good thriller. Um, The Mother Next Door by Tara Laskowski. Um, It's a a domestic thriller about uh, moms on on a cul-de-sac who uh, sort of run run their neighborhood. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, and then Come With Me uh, by Ronald Malfi. Uh, it's another sort of serial killer thriller, uh, which is similar. They're Gone is also um, uh, sort of a who's the killer thriller. Uh, so I've enjoyed those a lot. Um, I just started The Glass Hotel. Emily St. John Mandel. Uh, her book, Station Eleven, is one of my favorites. It fits into the the type of novel that I I really enjoy, which is um, where that boundary where literary fiction and genre fiction sort of mix together. Um, books like Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, um, The Brief History of the Dead by Kevin Brockmeyer. Those are those are books that I really enjoy. Um, but those I've read, those are the books I've read a while ago that I always, I recommend to everyone. If you ask me about a book, I'll, I will almost always recommend those books to you. Sure. Sure. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels and short stories? I'm on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all, all under my name. So variations of, you know, Mike Landweber, Michael Landweber. Occasionally, I'm Landweber. One of the nice things about having the name Landweber, I'm, I'm related to everyone in the world named Landweber. If you do M Landweber, you can pretty much get the the uh, the social media handle in any situation. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Michael Landweber, author of the new novel, The Damage Done. The book is available now, so go buy a copy. And Michael, thanks for doing this interview. Great. So thanks so much for having me. Great. Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audio book of The Damage Done by Michael Landweber. Just run. Dab careened up the stranger's driveway, heading to the side of the house. He was going too fast, losing control, looking over his shoulder to make sure they weren't behind him. The car surprised him even though it was quite large and stationary, parked right in front of the garage door. Still, Dab came at it hard, holding his wrist out to push off of the unforgiving metal. He recoiled from the pain, a jolt up his arm that he knew would linger for a few days. It didn't take much to hurt Dab, he bruised easily. Still, he ran, not slowing until he was around the corner of the house, out of sight of the street. Only then did he pause, trying, and failing, to catch his breath, feeling a bit lightheaded, the world tilting gently around him, while his vision blurred for a brief moment. Dab had never been able to keep up with the other kids. 
he always felt unsteady in his own small body when it came time to display the physical prowess that seemed to come so intuitively to his peers. They sprinted in a straight line. He always felt himself lilting left, then overcorrecting right, never true to his goal. His mother had made him play soccer in elementary school, on a team with all the other boys from his class. He would watch them gather the ball between their feet and move with it down the field, the rolling orb an extension of themselves, drifting away and then pulled back as if on a tether. When the ball was in the air, it would appear to float softly toward a teammate who'd let it bounce off his chest to the ground directly in front of him. When Dab had tried to do the same, it had hit him square in the face, knocking off his glasses and sending him sprawling to the turf. Now that he was in middle school, Dab's mother had given up on making him participate in organized sports. He knew his mother didn't really like sports. It was just something she'd believed she needed to make him do, part of playing the role of good parent. Dab sucked in air, leaning against the stranger's house. There was no time for this. He had to get home before they found him. Once he got inside and locked the door behind him, he would be safe. For today, he could consider tomorrow, tomorrow. For most of sixth grade, he had managed to stay off everyone's radar. Not an insignificant feat, given his name, which only got worse when you said the whole thing. Dabney, and his small stature, and his hopelessness at sports, and awkwardness in social interactions, and just generally everything. Jane always told him that those things would be his strength someday. She had a way of making him believe everything she said. But his sister was away at college now, and he only heard her voice from a distance and saw her face on the computer screen, which diminished her power. The problem now was that Dab had gotten on the wrong side of Connor and his buddies. It was a big problem. Just run. The backyard of the stranger's house opened up into the backyards of many other strangers' homes. This block was unusual in this town, in any town really, in that the lawns were continuous and contiguous, bleeding into each other out into the distance. No fences, no dogs, no swimming pools, just an expanse of green, even more lush in these early spring days. There must have been an agreement between neighbors to be contrarians, living without walls. Dab ran straight down the middle of the backyard, unimpeded, past the houses on either side. The only thing that could stop him was an unseen hole in the ground, or tripping over his own two feet. He avoided both. This was the home stretch, once he cleared this block, he would be just one corner away from his own house and safety. Dab veered toward the house on the end of the block, again feeling that unsteadiness of needing to make his body execute specific movements on short notice. But he didn't slow down, proud of himself for pushing through the discomfort. He was feeling confident, an unfamiliar sense of control, when he burst back out onto the sidewalk and nearly ran into the woman pushing a stroller. Someone screamed. Dab thought it might be him, but he had other problems. The world was spinning out from under him. He had managed to will his momentum sharply to the right and barely avoided barreling full force into the stroller.